What I often see with the big multinationals is that they want to grow the business 20-30% each year, but I think that it's not so good for the quality of the work. And I thought, this is not going to be my path. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Frido Deeperveen. Well pronounced. Oh, thank you. I practiced that, Frido. <laughs> um, hopefully I can, I can say it right the next time as well. Uh, Frido was born in the Netherlands and trained as a lawyer before discovering his true passion was in recruitment and executive search. That was in 2005 when he co-founded a recruiting firm that he and his business partner grew to 55 employees before selling it to Randstad in 2010. After that transaction, Frito stayed on the board as commercial director and helped the new owners to grow the business with 20 to 30% year-on-year growth and actually stayed with them until 2018, which is when he decided to start a new recruiting firm from scratch. So now Frito is the managing director of Deepervain and Partners, a boutique search firm with a team of 15 based in Budapest, Hungary and serving clients throughout Europe and North America. So Frito, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Mark. And I'm truly excited uh, to be on your show. Uh, I've um, followed several of your podcasts and I feel honored that uh, I uh, may be here. And uh, am I the first non-native English speaker? No, I've had uh, a few Dutch um, entrepreneurs on the show, actually. Um, oh, I missed those. Yeah, I, I, can point, I can point them out to you. Um, but no, so not the first, but... One of the few, let's say. Yeah. Okay. Then, as I am a lawyer and Dutch-Hungarian, let me make uh, use of the opportunity to have a disclaimer. Okay. <laughs> because a- a- as as the English language is not my mother tongue, should I say anything funny, please disregard it or forgive me for it. We will. Because, absolutely. Yeah. But I do not think that will be an issue. Um, okay. Absolutely. So And Mark... Please allow me to uh, to correct you a little okay, bit. Okay, please. Uh, perhaps my information was not 100% uh, uh, precise uh, or you misunderstood. I did not co-found Profipower. I joined after it had been founded, but I was employee number eight or so. And together uh, with Ilonka Jankovic, we built out the company. And um, after two weeks of me joining the firm, um, uh, she told me, you're going to be my uh, deputy uh, managing director. And if things go well, uh, I will allow you to uh, to have uh, equity, the company. So, But I was not uh, uh, founding it myself. I understand. I found it Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. misunderstood um, yeah. the, the background. Yeah. So thanks for, for clarifying that. And so we're going to get into that uh, business in, in just a second. Um, first, can you tell me how you were referred by Abid Hamid from Recruitment Entrepreneur. How do you know Abid? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that has to do with this company called Profipower because um, when I joined this firm in March 2005, uh, my employment started with a two day training. And guess who was the trainer? Abid Hamid. And um, uh, telling this to my colleagues nowadays, I say, I could not have had a better start than with this fantastic training, where uh, he led us through the 
the 30 steps of recruitment, the ABC of this profession. And um, Abit has been inspiring me since then till today. Amazing. Wow. So you've had a very yeah. long association with Abed. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's trained, uh, you know, generations of, uh, of recruiters. <clears throat> so fantastic. Well, I'm glad he's put us in touch with each other. So tell me, you originally were working in banking. You were in-house counsel at ABN AMRO, which is one of the biggest banks in the world. What inspired or what motivated you to the, to transition from banking into recruitment? I'll be very honest with you. When I was at high school, I didn't have a clue what profession to choose or what studies to choose. I studied uh, European studies in the beginning, and after a while, it turned out to be something... Uh, educating people for a secretary job, okay. with all respect. And I, th so I thought was that's a, not okay. going to be my career. Got it. It was a combination of languages and economics, okay. but, but not very deep. And I was part of a fraternity uh, in Amsterdam, and my, my fellow students said, well, if you don't know what to study, study law. And um, that was said on a Friday evening in a pub. And I said, why not? And I liked law studies as such, and I'm still happy that I did it because it gives you a very good framework, it gives you a very good view on society, and it's very helpful in certain situations. But soon uh, I found out that this is not going to be my profession. Nevertheless, uh, when finishing my studies, I was uh, introduced by a professor of uh, labor law to Abin Amro, and um, I did not pass... The, the interview at all of, of legal affairs. Um, but um, um, this, this was in 98, when there was still lack of talent in the Netherlands. The economy was booming, going through the roof. And um, yeah, they liked me as a person. So he said, well, you don't have a real passion for, for legal affairs, it seems. You don't have a clue why you would like to join ABN Ambro, but you're a nice guy. So let's try. <laughs> wow. I said, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very different days today, of course. But in those days, this 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 was the, the case. So I uh, I joined uh, the bank in legal affairs. I had to deal with uh, insolvency clients. In those days, uh, as I said, the economy was going very well, and there were not so many exciting insolvencies. So the uh, the job was boring, to be honest. Um, now you have to know that I'm a quarter Hungarian. And my wife, uh, uh, my first wife, I have to say, um, Hungarian, she did not like the Netherlands. So I thought, why not make use of this uh, uh, situation and move to the country I've always loved as a tourist and uh, start a new career? So after, I think, two years of uh, legal affairs, Abin Amro, uh, I, uh, I moved to, uh, to Hungary. And uh, as you can imagine... Um, uh, in Hungary, they were not so interested in Dutch insolvency law, uh, <laughs> okay. and uh, and and I was a lawyer according to the, the Dutch law, but <clears throat> not according to the Hungarian uh, uh, legislation. Um, I didn't speak Hungarian yet. Um, I was offered the opportunity to go to law school and join Clifford Chance, mm. 
but I would have had to start from scratch all over again. Mm. Um, so I said, okay, change of career, change of plan. And through a contact, I joined ING Bank. And um, yeah, there I found out how important networking is. Because through a fraternity friend, his father is an is a important uh, person in the Dutch economy, he uh, referred me to the CEO, the group CEO of ING Bank, who told the CEO in Hungary, a Dutch guy, hire this person, whatever you do. So <laughs> they were, uh, um, yeah, they, they had to hire me in a job. And uh, it was a very strange period because the Hungarian lady who, who was going to be my boss said, sorry, but you're being completely useless for me. You don't speak the language. You don't know anything about the Hungarian banking industry. So what shall I do with you? Uh, I said, she said, I know that I have to hire you, but really, I can't do anything with you. But she said, if you manage to learn the Hungarian language within six months and you, you, you learn the basics of the banking industry, I will support you. Well, you, you can that imagine. That very fair, uh, really, uh, to give you that opportunity. Yes, and we can say that it was almost uh, Dutch straightforward communication. <laughs> yes, Dutch are Hungarians, very straightforward, aren't they? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And she worked for a Dutch bank, yeah. uh, after all. So, so, and uh, looking back, I'm very grateful for that yeah. because I took Hungarian lessons. Okay. I, I I read uh, a lot of books about banking, mm -hmm. and believe it or not, uh, and I, I have to admit that I'm proud of that. After six months, I was talking to the finance directors, clients of the bank in Hungarian, and I was discussing uh, the balance sheet and profit and loss. Good for you. And I was asking questions like, why did uh, 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 accounts receivable uh, change from year to year? Or uh, what, what about your, your net worth? And uh, I had to write analysis about that. So, so this is how I came into Hungary, which was in those days not part of the EU yet. Right. So I needed a residence permit, a working permit. Yeah. So, Frido, the you you, I understand how you ended up in Hungary, but this still doesn't explain how you got into recruitment, which is quite a yeah. different thing than getting into yeah. banking, right? The, and the by the way, just I, I need to give a shout out to. The, the guy who writes our show notes, so the text that appears on our website alongside our podcast episodes, is called Israel Tabunar, and he, his, this is, he moonlights as a freelance writer, but his day job is with ING, really? coincidentally. So shout out to yeah. Iz, and he does a fantastic job of, uh, of writing for us. I will explain. I will explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll try to, to, to make it compact. So I did two years of credit analysis. Uh, which was interesting. So, so I, I, I learned how to read a, a, a balance sheet and profit and loss and how to make analysis. So that's, again, just as my legal studies, very interesting and, and, and useful information and knowledge. But I for soon sure. came, uh, came uh, um, to the conclusion that this was too dry for me. So mm -hmm. the, the, my boss said, understood, now you know the basics of banking. Why not go to the commercial side and sell banking products? Dealing with clients and people was already much more interesting. And of course, the sales and consultancy part. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, I thought, well, 
selling revolving credits and bank guarantees is again too dry to me. Yeah, uh, and, I can understand uh, that. Yeah, and my my belief is that if you're not completely interested in something, if you're not passionate about something, you can never be really good at it. True, I so, agree. So, so I said I have to change again, and uh, as Abit uh, used to say, uh, good things often happen by accident, and perhaps this was not even an accident, but I ran into Ilonka Jankovic, uh, whom I already knew from the Netherlands. She's Dutch-Hungarian. And uh, she told me that she had just set up autumn 2004, a recruitment firm in Hungary. In those days, I hardly knew what a recruitment firm was because I had never had to do with it. I was always asked for jobs. And uh, she said, um, it's in the startup phase. Why don't you join? I looked after uh, a bit more deeply after Ilonka. I found out that she was a very, or she is a very uh, serious businesswoman. She had um, set up legal flex force uh, which she sold for a record uh, amount to a TMP. Oh, wow, just, that's uh, interesting. Uh, just before uh, 9-11. Um, wow. And um, so I, I, I knew she was very serious. Uh, mm. And uh, I thought if I join her, it, it can't be uh, any bad to me. And, and she came to Hungary, being half yeah. Hungarian and having a husband who is a writer and can write anywhere in the world, um, to do the trick again. And uh, you have to know that in, in 2004, 2005, of course, we were told the market is saturated. There's no place yeah. for another recruitment firm. By the way, in Hungary, uh, until the end of communism, there was not really such a th uh, thing like executive search or recruiter. Of course. So it was a new business, but they said it's full. And believe it or not, between, th uh, between uh, 2005, 2008, we managed to become market leaders in Hungary. Wow, uh, and that was a fantastic time of uh, of building up a firm, uh, getting in a client day by day. Fantastic, fantastic, amazing! So I immediately loved the profession from the very start. Got it. So um, I want to concentrate primarily on what you're doing now, but just if you were to recap on the kind of key lessons that you get, that you learned or the key um, things that you gained from that experience, that first experience in recruitment of helping uh, Ilonka to build up the business and uh, leading to the, the, the transaction with, um, with Randstad, what, what would be the top two or three things? Um, I think what made us the market leaders in Hungary is that our service was just uh, much better, higher quality, faster, and more personal. So um, um, I see changes on the Hungarian market, but yeah, the country has had 50 years of communism or socialism, as they sometimes call it, where it was not really needed to sell. So the service mind, the service orientation is often lacking in Hungary. And we, as Dutch Hungarians, knowing also the Western way of selling and the, the client orientation, we could easily uh, win clients for us to show how you can also do it. And um, I think what 
a lot of clients uh, liked then and still like is that uh, yeah, the, the Dutch are often very entrepreneurial and uh, uh, thinking out of the box and rather thinking in um, opportunities than uh, something is not possible. And I say it a bit silently now, but Hungarians can be a bit pessimistic and melancholic and often <laughs> things are okay. not possible. And then we said, yeah, of course it's possible. We're going to solve it for you. And that approach, um, where also I have learned from that period that you you have to do what you say and say what you do, mm -hmm. was a game changer. And it may sound silly or a surprise, but it was the case. <clears throat> Frido, you... you mentioned some things there which I would like to try and quantify or, or get more specific because a lot of business people, salespeople, recruiters say things like we offer more personal service or we offer, you know, faster results or we offer, you know, higher quality, you know, yep. service to our competitors. But what that's intangible. What what does I can that make really it super tangible. Okay, great. Please. I can make it super tangible. I, I, I will first tell you the result of this approach, and then I will yes. tell you how I get to the, Perfect. Uh, the result. Um, many of my clients have become personal friends over the years. Mm. Uh, uh, so that that about being personal. Now, being personal to me means that. Um, you you should not see an assignment as just one of the many, but you should consider it as a unique job that you are so lucky to get to work on. So I, I always try to be humble and, and, and I'm, I'm always very pleased when client gives me the opportunity to, uh, to solve a problem that he has. And how do I make it personal? Well, um, I go to the client wherever he is. Next month, I will probably go to Costa Rica for a new assignment. Last week, I was in Barcelona. In December, I will go to, to Amsterdam. So I don't care about where the client is. I always want to meet the client in person. Wow, and I hear that's from, interesting. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I hear from my clients that many headhunters do not do that. No. Especially not today when everything or almost everything can be solved through Teams or, or Zoom. Yes. But I want to see where my candidates end up working. Yes. Uh, otherwise, how can I uh, uh, sell it in a, in a creditworthy way to the candidates? I agree 100%. What's different though, it, because if you run a local or regional recruiting practice, then that's much easier, right? And we always were trained that you must see the client in person, face to face, to take the order, build a relationship, you know, look at the, you know, the actual building the client, the candidate will be working from, and so on. And that was uh, a sort of non-negotiable. You must every time visit the client in person. But I think that over time, that's less the case, especially in the post-COVID era. <clears throat> but what yours, what's unique about you, I don't know many international search firms who have that same policy where you go and visit 
the client where even in another country. I think that is quite unique. I couldn't do it in another way. And of course, going to Barcelona from Budapest is is is, is uh, an extreme but very pleasant uh, way of doing business, by the way. Sure. But uh, I heard uh, so many times from clients in Hungary mm-hmm. that recruiters didn't even take the effort to travel an hour wow. and visit yeah. a factory in the countryside. Right. I could not do it without it. Yes. So that, that, that's one of the things to make it personal. Also, right. another thing, uh, with most clients, I never jumped immediately into the business topic. I, I choose the, the path of first getting to know a person, uh, uh, um, seeing whether there is a certain chemistry, because I have the luxury nowadays, after seven years of recruitment, that I can choose whom to work for. I don't want to Great. work for a client I don't like. Of course, I feel the exact same. Mm. Yeah. So, so if I get to know client and I see that uh, there's some chemistry uh, in- evolving, then it is so much easier to talk about uh, 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 confidential stuff. Uh, if you have a certain chemistry with a person, he will probably trust you after a while and say, listen, Actually, I have a big problem. I have to fire my CFO, but I'm not sure whether I can find a good replacement within two weeks or so. Huh? And, and, and th- th- this is one of the ways to, um, to, to build relationships. And uh, um, another thing that I often do and also uh, tell my colleagues is um, to, to also interview uh, candidates that you cannot immediately place mm. uh, 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 for two reasons uh, yes. or three actually it's 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 good uh, uh, marketing if you can show that you're also ha- helping people you cannot immediately take advantage from yes uh, on the other hand uh, the candidate may not be needed today but, but may be needed tomorrow and then he is already mm-hmm. in your database and the third mm-hmm. reason of course uh, um, if you treat a candidate in a very good and personal way, then the person may easily become a client of yours because you have shown how you deal with people. Mm. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. 
There's no obligation. Plus, you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. I love the specific examples of how you make the service personal. Um, and I have to hold myself back. Eh? I have many more examples, but we great. only have All one right. hour. I'd love to hear them. <laughs> but I just want to... Um, <clears throat> I think most recruiters would agree that what you're describing of interviewing candidates, even if you can't place them today, would be the ideal situation for the reasons that you just said. You know, candidates today become clients tomorrow. You're building a database, which makes it easier to fill jobs in the future, and so on and so forth. The challenge, or the, what makes that difficult in practice, is <clears throat> time pressure. Recruiters are very um, target driven. So you've got targets, you know, for the quarter, for the month. You may have, um, you know, deadlines from clients. You, you, you maybe have multiple assignments that you're under pressure to deliver the, the shortlist. And so then the pressing immediate needs of today that have stress and urgency and, and also money attached to them. Um, supersede the 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 candidates who you can't really help right now and so it's i guess my question for you is how do you allocate or manage the time involved in that especially now like we're seeing a shift in the market <clears throat> for the last two years it's been very client driven sorry very candidate driven so the candidate is king right we do everything to find to nurture to build relationships with the candidates and the clients you know for many recruiters are almost less important than the candidate but now we're seeing it shift to the other way where in many markets you know there's a slowing of hiring demand and an increase in let's say unemployment which means that more candidates are coming to you asking for help advice you know and with with finding an, a new opportunity and then it can become overwhelming for the recruiter they're try they 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 need to focus on building the client relationships which is more the client is the one who pays you the fee right so how do you how do you juggle that at, in a in a yeah. in a commercially sensible way yeah very good question and I often get this from my colleagues as well. Uh, I find this, if, if, if we only think of today and, uh, and uh, the cash flow of this month, I find it very short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. And if there's something I've learned from the profit power time and from Ilonka, then it is to think long-term. Right. Um, because, because you never know what's going to happen in the future. And uh, yeah, it, when you think long-term, you can build long-lasting relationships and in all honesty um, you don't get requests every day uh, from a candidate who uh, with whom you uh, could do a generic interview it doesn't happen every day and um, even if it did um, of course you can still select and you can be honest so i'll give you an example sometimes i get uh, uh, foreign state secretaries uh, at my desk or, or, or they, they would like to sit down with me. And in those cases, if I have time, even then I sit down and keep it short. But often I tell such a person like, listen, I'm going to be very interesting. I'm happy to give you some advice on, on writing your CV or so, but I don't think it makes 
a lot of sense to meet because I will not be the one who's uh, going to be able to help you because you have such a specific background. I've never placed a person from a ministry or so. And, and then normally they, they uh, accept that, especially if you give CV advice or you say this or that headhunter may be able to help you. And you still give something. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And also you can plan. So if you are working, and that's often the case for a headhunter on very uh, 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 deadline-focused assignments, you can say, listen, I don't have time now, but next month, third week, I'll be happy to see you. Also an opportunity. I think the key there is you're being honest and, and you're at least getting back to them. I think that's the biggest reason candidates are unhappy is they don't hear back from a recruiter, right? There's nothing. It's so even if you're saying, look, I'm not the right person to help you, but at least you've communicated with them. I think that even by itself is, um, you yeah. know, sets you apart. Now you mentioned a very important w- word, honesty. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is both uh, my USP and the USP of our company. And it it seems to be Uh, quite unusual and it may have to do with my Dutch background because as I said the Dutch are very straightforward sometimes too straightforward (laughs) so I think I've also learned from for instance the Hungarian culture that in certain uh, cases it may be good to a little bit pack it pack the message instead of giving it so bluntly black and white as the Dutch often do yeah but Still, I'll give you an example, uh, uh, and that concerned Spanish candidate uh, that I was talking to uh, the other day. Uh, and uh, Spanish people are proud people. Uh, Spanish men are often kind of macho. So I had already learned that uh, I have to be careful giving the Dutch feedback to a to a Spanish candidate. But there was this candidate, a lovely guy, and I may see him next time when I'm in Barcelona because he invited me for drinks and, and, and dinner and so on, regardless of, he, uh, of the question whether he will be the, the winner or not. Very nice guy. And um, good content, good professional, but a very, very Spanish accent. And a, a relatively badly written CV. And I gave him the feedback, like, listen, my client is actually looking with a person with, let's say, international English. doesn't have to be Oxford, but it should be good English. And sorry for saying, but you are speaking a kind of Mediterranean English with all respect, with a, quite a heavy accent. And, and besides that, you really have to rewrite your CV because you don't sell yourself. What was the email that I got the other day? You're the most sincere headhunter I've ever worked with. Because... A lot of headhunters do not take the effort. They, they, they are either afraid of the confrontation or they don't really care. But I care. I care about every candidate that I talk to because that's my passion for the profession. Fantastic. I love it. So, um, Fredo, you, I'm, we could talk for the whole hour just about delivering a personal and high quality service. But I would like to, there's so much else that you have done. I'd like to move on. Um, Thank you for those great examples. Is there anything else you can tell me about why you think you were so successful at, together with Ilonka, building 
prof was it profit power? Am I saying that? <laughs> well, it was a or very prof profitable company. It was a very profitable company, but it was profi power. Oh, profi. Professional okay. power. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Profi power. So yeah. you built it in five years to 55 people. That's fast. That's rapid growth, right? Yeah. And yeah. and then and then sold it, which is rare. Like most recruitment companies, A, don't scale beyond five or ten people, and B don't build a business that is uh, sufficiently well-run and robust that it would operate successfully if you removed the the, the top-tier leadership from the business. Um, so is there anything else you think that was a secret to success there? Um, well, uh, Ilonka and I are both very uh, extrovert people, so we walk into a room, make contact, and we walk out with, with a contract often. Okay, so great. so uh, and that's not typically Hungarian. So so we we are very direct, uh, goal oriented, and that helps in doing sales, of course. Yes. Um, then I have to say that Ilonka has a fantastic international network uh, mm -hmm. through which we we got uh, a lot of interesting assignments. Mm -hmm. um, but let me let me challenge you here for a second, Frido, because most I in my experience. Most people who start or are leaders of a recruitment organization are good at selling yeah. and good at winning the work and so on. But that's very different. So I would say that is almost a prerequisite to building yeah. a successful search firm. Yeah. But then building a, and, and building a team, that's a whole different skill set. Yeah, it's very Which, easy. Okay. Very easy answer. Um, you have to deliver. You have to do what you say. And uh, we've always done that. And okay. we've always been very honest and transparent in, for instance, saying, listen, what you are looking for in the market is non-existing right. or, or your expectations are not realistic and therefore we cannot do the job. But if we said we are going to deliver in time, we did it. Right. And I think that is the best business development you can do. That's 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 one thing. Uh, the other thing. Wait, uh, so just to pick up on that. So, the 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 result of that is what more repeat business, which allows absolutely. you allows absolutely. you to to create demand, which requires you to grow a team. Is that the idea? Or I mean, apart on the on the one hand, um, I always tell me people, excellent execution <laughs> of assignments that you're working on is the best business development tool you can imagine. Okay. That's one. Then we organized a lot of uh, parties uh, all the time for our clients and candidates. So networking okay, was key. Uh, Can you describe so what that, describe yeah, very that fan, very fancy uh, parties on, on great locations uh, with great live music. So we, build it, we built a brand of a, of a fancy company that everybody wanted to work for. Oh, cool. All right. Then I also have to be very honest in the fact that in, in a certain way we were lucky okay. because uh, um, the period 2005, 2000, uh, uh, well, in fact, from 2005 on till today, I can say that an important growth factor of the Hungarian market is the setup of shared service centers. Ah. So H Hungary is employing more than 70,000 employees in this sector 
and we uh, have uh, built up several centers exclusively. So um, also we were hit by the 2008 uh, uh, crisis. I was going to say, like you've grown and during a very adverse, like if you look at the stock market and the economy over the last, you know, 100 years, that dip in 07, 08 was significant. And so the five years from 20, 2005 to 2010 that you scaled included two, at least two years of, of uh, economic, you know, of recession, right? So that makes the, the achievement all the more impressive. Yeah, and um, we have had uh, difficult times. Uh, so when the, the crisis uh, hit uh, our company in 2008, uh, we unfortunately had to let go 25 of the 55 people. Wow. It was a, was okay. a, was a, was a very bad period, but mm. uh, we did it to, um, to, to save the rest of the company. Um, so, like, like Abit told me, um, if if you want to save the body, you may have to uh, to 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 take off a leg. So we 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 had to send away quite some people. But as of January two thousand and nine, we were awarded the assignment to build up a new uh, shared service center for a huge uh, British multinational, and that took us out of the crisis immediately. So from two thousand nine. January, the crisis was over for us, and we started building again. Fantastic. And you know, coming back to your what you're saying about sales and winning work, sales is the solution to many problems in business, right? And uh, the uh, not saying it's easy in any way, but if you can uh, proactively win profitable work, um, that is going to I don't like the word recession-proof, but that is um, that is going to protect your business and make it uh, a, an easier um, recovery uh, for you. So, yeah. could you describe what shared service center? Could you describe what that means? So, a lot of companies nowadays uh, uh, um, concentrate their uh, back offices in a certain location. Um, in a in a location where a square meter costs less and uh, the, the the employees uh, have less uh, large salaries, and uh, by putting all those people in one location and uh, and offering, uh, for instance, uh, accounts payable services for the whole group, you can save a lot of money. Eh? So uh, companies like Vodafone, uh, uh, BP. Uh, uh, and, and companies like that, they all have shared service centers in countries like Hungary or Poland or Romania. I get it. Okay. And they 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 have functions also like customer services or or or, or they're also BPOs, business process outsourcing companies that take yes. over IT functions from companies. And all those centers require uh, a multiple language speaking people. Um. And uh, as Hungary is a, is a melting pot of cultures, uh, people often speak two, three languages, and those are very good for the shared service centers. Perfect. Okay, no, that makes total sense. I get it. Yeah. I get it now. And, yeah. and setting up a shared service center comes with yeah. mass recruitment. Of course. So I remember that in 2006, we set up the shared service center of InBev, the, the okay. Brazilian now Brazilian beer company. 
we placed uh, within a few months uh, more than 200 people. Wow. But let me ask you about this then, because um, often there's per- at least perceived to be a difference between the type of firm that can successfully place your leadership team and the type of firm that can successfully staff up your, you know, operation in terms of the contributors yeah. and the and the managers. And it sounds like you do both. Yeah. How do you uh, brand yourself in such a way that the client will accept that you can place a C level or VP level person and you yeah. can and you can place, you know, a, a staff person? <laughs> Sharp question. I'm, I'm happy you ask it. Um, it's the answer is very very simple. Um, the senior people in our company do the senior jobs and the less senior people do the less senior jobs. Okay. And and uh, th- that has not caused any trouble to us. I have to add that um, this comes also from the fact that in Hungary, there are less than uh, 10 million people and the population is even decreasing. So it's a small country, small market. And most uh, uh, firms are generalist firms. So we, we don't see here, like in the UK, all the niche companies focusing on, on, on one type of role only or, or mm-hmm. one level only. So in Hungary, it's, it's quite normal to, um, to have a wide range of seniority and, and uh, uh, type of positions. Now, okay. uh, in my opinion, some companies have a too wide range. Like if you do blue-collar staffing, Till CEO level, you need very, very good, uh, let's say even Chinese walls to separate it and you have to brand it differently. For our company, DeepFN and Partners, it has not caused any problem. So companies contact us for CEO positions or, or, or bookkeeper roles. Right. Interesting. All right. Okay. Now that makes sense. This episode is brought to you by Recruitment Entrepreneur. If you've dreamed of starting your own business, or if you've already got a successful firm and you want to grow more rapidly, then pay close attention. Recruitment Entrepreneur are the number one investors in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. They provide everything you need to grow your business, including the funding and financial expertise, operational strategy and back office support, and marketing and talent attraction solutions. Led by James Kahn, they've already invested in 45 businesses and you could be their next joint venture partner. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. So tell me about what you're doing now then. Like you decided you wanted to start your own firm from scratch. That was in 2018. Um, And how have you successfully grown your own practice, your own firm? Yeah, the short answer is by following my philosophy, uh, which is uh, uh, quality uh, before quantity. Yeah. And the background of that is that uh, what I often see with the big multinationals uh, is that they want to grow the business 20-30% each year. And they often do that. But I think that is not so good for the quality of the work, Uh, Mm. especially not in a a small market as Hungary, 
where also today there's a lack of recruiters. And if there's a lack of especially good recruiters, you will end up working with bad recruiters. Hmm. And if you have many colleagues on board, you need many assignments to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. This means that you will also have to accept assignments that you don't like to work on, mm. non-exclusive or, 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 or very bad jobs. And I thought, this is not going to be my path. I rather work for fewer clients with, 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 with a, a fantastic focus on high quality than for many clients with a so-so service. So I mm-hmm. decided to leave Randstad, where I had a great uh, time, uh, by the way, so uh, I wouldn't say anything bad, but it was just not my company anymore. Mm-hmm. And my original plan was to do it completely on my own, build a firm and do six to eight executive search assignments per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I, I could do that because I, I'm still working with clients that I started working with in 2005 uh, and have a great life. Yeah, uh, I think they call that uh, what is it? Um, lifestyle business. Li- lifestyle business, exactly. Yeah. But life went differently because I got more and more clients, and good clients. I didn't want to say no to, and because of that, I, I started hiring people. But in order to keep those people busy, also in times when less work comes in, yeah, I had to do sales. And uh, in fact, uh, an important uh, game changer was last year, 2021, uh, February, when Abit gave me a call. Abit, as you know, is CEO of Recruitment Entrepreneur. Absolutely. uh, Having many very successful uh, boutique firms in the portfolio. And uh, he said, yeah, uh, in, in several of our companies, there's lack of recruitment. Like, like, like of recruiters sources, uh, could you help us with uh, sourcing candidates? And um, yeah, we started doing that, and we're still doing it today. And uh, among so, describe others, because, how, how does that yeah. work? So, you're, in other words, part of your business. You are you are still serving your Hungarian clients yeah. and doing yeah. those searches with your yeah. legacy, the relationships you've got. But now, yeah, not, you're not also, only Hungarian. Not time, okay. sorry, international Mark, for interrupting clients. you. Yeah. No, so we also have our own international clients where we do end-to-end recruitment or executive search. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, how does it work for a recruitment entrepreneur as an example? And we have more clients than that, but uh, it's a very nice uh, group to work with. Um, um, they acquire uh, a supply chain management role in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have time uh, to work it. And they say, please uh, do the sourcing, give us a short list, and, uh, and from there we take over. And uh, in some cases, the relationship is so good that we do almost end-to-end. And our recruitment entrepreneur partner only uh, uh, talks to the client and, uh, and does the, the, the high-level communication. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. wow. So you're... You have a portion of your, uh, is this a dedicated department or division within the business that services other recruiting firms? Yeah, we have dedicated people, especially hired for clients like Recruitment Entrepreneur. Great. All right. That's interesting. My colleagues also love it because it's more exciting than 
than uh, than only working on Hungarian market. And so some people even work exclusively for uh, our clients, like recruitment entrepreneur. And I give you a very interesting example, yeah, please, which shows how international the market has become, and and also the the sourcing and recruitment uh, uh, profession. Um, a colleague of mine who is, by the way, from Jamaica, which also shows how international we are. We have colleagues from Jamaica, Norway, Jordan, Ukraine, uh, the Netherlands, Hungary. My Jamaican colleague found for a big four company in Paris a French-speaking Chinese lady who happened to... to, to, to uh, she had already worked in the past in France, and he brought her over from China to France. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that, that's what I call cross-border recruitment. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, yeah. And uh, we have many of those examples. This is the most extreme one, perhaps, but yeah. this is how our business uh, looks like today. Wow. So based on that initial relationship with Recruitment Entrepreneur, you've now expanded that service offering and are working with other international yeah. recruitment businesses, providing the candidate. So now the, almost there's... I would class sourcing and recruiting as almost two different functions, but it sounds like you're doing yeah. both of those. So to me, sourcing yeah. is building the, um, doing the market mapping, identifying the candidates, finding their contact information, putting together that candidate pool, that long list, that to me is sourcing. And yeah. then recruiting is engaging with those people, getting them interested yeah. in the role, and then doing the initial qualification that yeah. to me is recruiting, but you're doing both of those things. We do both, and uh, in in most cases, it starts with sourcing because they want to see how we work. Mm -hmm. But after the first assignment, they say, "You don't have to restrict yourself to sourcing. Please do the recruitment engaging part as well." Wow, amazing! Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I I um, interesting, interesting. Now. <clears throat> Why? How is that commercially viable for you? Is that it, I, I'm not very familiar with Hungarian market, um, and presumably because if your ultimate client is, you know, charging the their end client in uh, pounds, dollars, or 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 uh, euros there's sufficient um, a margin there that they can also pay you a, a, a reasonable um, rate for your services and still be highly profitable. And so you both Absolutely. benefit. Is that the idea? Absolutely. This is a true win-win situation. Um, so I hope many listeners of yours to this podcast will also say, oh, man, may outsource some sourcing to, to Hungary because salaries are lower than in the UK or the US, um, uh, a square meter price in our offices is lower. Okay. Uh, in, in fact, most things are, are cheaper than in the West. Yes. So, um, and today, our uh, uh, local currency, the foreign, is also quite weak. So, if we make a deal in dollars, uh, Swiss francs, uh, pounds, whatever, uh, we get more nowadays uh, than than we we used to to get, so it is absolutely uh, interesting for us to get a, a, a piece of the pie, um, because it it's worth more in Hungary than it's worth in US. Interesting. So I, I hadn't heard of Hungary as a market for this. I've heard of 
Ukraine before the war, uh, yep. Romania, um, and then of course we uh, find really good people in the Philippines for our company. Uh, traditionally, you know, India, Pakistan, but I hadn't heard of outsourcing to Hungary. But so you've opened my mind to a whole uh, a whole opportunity here. Yeah, and we have to thank Abit for this because he came up with the idea. Yeah, well, there you go. He's a very creative, <laughs> yeah. uh, opportunistic. Like he comes up with ways of yeah. making money, right? He's he, yeah. that's one of his uh, one of his strengths. Fantastic! This is really interesting. So, what are your plans now for continuing to grow the business, Frito? Yeah, now, we would uh, uh, like to expand our executive search uh, service mm -hmm. uh, both locally and internationally. Uh, because we're good at it, we get very good testimonials, and 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 we love to deal with it. It's it's my favorite activity. Uh, looking for 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 general managers, CFOs, I love to do it anywhere in the world. Uh, um, and uh, yeah, my my colleagues are also growing up, so to speak. So more and more colleagues are, are able uh, to do that. And I, I listened to a podcast of yours where the question was raised: Is a young person also able to do executive search? Uh, yes, if smart and business savvy enough. And, and I have several colleagues who are perfectly capable of doing it. And of course, executive search comes with the nicest commitment of clients, the nicest fees. Uh, 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 and, and I often say it's easier to place a CEO than a French-English-speaking accounts receivable clerk. Right, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, so that's that's what we're going to 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 grow. That I want to grow, um, and uh, yeah, one of the, the the tools to do that is of course the social selling, and, and yeah. this podcast is also an example of that. So thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure. Um, uh, our recruitment business, as such, uh, uh, yeah, there's so much uh, left uh, for us, uh, also on the Hungarian market, because I often hear from companies that we take over from large multinationals that at the big companies they don't they often don't get the attention they are looking for they don't get sure. the treatment so there's still a lot to win for us there um, um the the rpo type of service that we offer so uh, for some companies we completely take over the recruitment uh, uh, part and for other companies it's um, it's uh, sourcing sourcing only um and yeah, um, next week uh, I will have a strategic meeting with my, my management and then uh, we will talk about uh, where to specialize because I do see a big advantage in, in specializing in certain fields and deepening uh, the knowledge. Um, for certain fields, we, 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 we can remain generalists because until the business is good, why, why, why stop with it? But I do feel that there, there's a need to specialize in some areas. And, and next Definitely, week, I, yeah, we're I going to decide that. what those areas will be. Um, because, yeah, uh, I, I said I, I, I want to, to stay in this business uh, until I die. But, <laughs> okay. but, it's, but it's, it's, it's good to, to build up something that's also sellable after a while, of course. Totally, 100%. Uh, Two more quick questions, Frida. One is, if people listening are interested in learning more about your RPO service for recruitment companies, 
What's the best way of them reaching out to you? Well, uh, through our website or uh, yeah, uh, calling me or writing to me. Well, my name is, of course, a bit difficult for non-Dutch speakers. But yeah, all information can be found on our webpage. And okay. I, I guess you will add that. We will add that link. But if someone's in their car driving and they're not writing it down, um, maybe they finding you on LinkedIn is the shortcut. Yeah. Um, and there's not so many Fridos uh, right. uh, on F-R-I-D-O. LinkedIn. F-R-I-D-O. Yeah. F-R-I-D-O. Uh, yeah. There are other Fridos than myself, but they're not... Uh, Involved in recruitment. So I, as far as I know, there's only one Frido recruiter. Okay, and, excellent. And if you well, add to that Budapest, then you can't miss me. Okay, fantastic. Well, I will um, I will definitely link to you in the show notes, Frido. And uh, this has been fantastic. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. There's a lot more we could, we could talk about. So let's say to be continued. And oh, meanwhile... Um, wishing you the best of luck with your continued expansion. Thank you very much. Same to you. Uh, your podcasts are uh, uh, really inspiring. Uh, I've listened to many of them already and uh, I, I learned from it. And of course, that's also an important purpose of this podcast. Inspiring and learning. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that very much, Frido. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, look forward to our next chat. You too, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.